Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective, and our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, we take a look at the so-called Billy Graham rule, and we have an update on a couple of religious liberty stories that will have an impact on Christian ministries around the country. And we look at the latest from Hillsong's Brian Houston. He has taken a sabbatical in advance of his criminal trial. We begin today with a history-making move by the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee has appointed Willie McLaren to serve as interim president and CEO, marking the first time that any entity of the predominantly white denomination has been headed by a black person. McLaren was named just over two years ago as the committee's vice president for Great Commission Relations and Mobilization, a new role meant to focus on spreading the gospel and fostering relations with various demographic groups of Southern Baptists. Prior to his work for the executive committee, McLaren worked at the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board for 15 years and previously held pastoral roles in churches in Tennessee. Yeah, the executive committee, which is headquartered in Nashville, has recently faced turmoil over racism, allegations of the mishandling of sexual abuse claims, and debates about how much access investigators hired to report on those claims will have to past conversations and other denominational communications. Ronnie Floyd, the committee's former president and CEO, resigned in October, citing the committee's decision to waive attorney-client privilege in the investigation as a reason for his departure. Yeah, we reported on that story pretty extensively and this story as well. The fact that the longtime general counsel of the denomination uh, cut ties, resigned their role for similar reasons. Uh, now, Rollins Slade is a California pastor, the executive committee chairman. Uh, in a statement about McLaren in Baptist Press, he said this, we hope that he will help us reset the tone by which the executive committee serves Southern Baptist. Immediately before us is the challenge to regain the trust of Southern Baptists. Our next story involves a proposed settlement filed in Michigan's federal court last week where they ruled that the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services cannot prohibit religious child placement agencies that contract with the state from refusing to place children with same-sex couples. Yeah, there's a lot of negatives, prohibits, and cannots in that ruling, Natasha, but the bottom line here is that Christian agencies can place children in homes according to their Christian beliefs. The ruling by the U.S. District Court followed a unanimous Supreme Court decision back in June in favor of a Philadelphia Catholic adoption agency that said that placing children with same-sex foster or adoptive parents was against its core beliefs. So this is a big win for religious liberty and for Christian adoption and foster care agencies. Now, this isn't the only religious liberty case in the news this week. 
Yeah, you're right. An Oregon church is suing the coastal city of Brookings, Oregon, arguing that a new ordinance restricting the church's meal program for the homeless violates its right to religious freedom. The church is St. Timothy's Episcopal Church, and they're joined by the Episcopal Diocese of Oregon in their lawsuit filed last Friday in Oregon's U.S. District Court. Now, according to the pastor of the church, or I should say the vicar of St. Timothy's, he released a statement that said, we've been serving our community here for decades and picking up the slack where the need exists and no one else is stepping in. And we have no intention of stopping now, and we're prepared to hold fast to our beliefs. We won't abandon the people of Brookings who need our help, even when we're being threatened. That new ordinance limits the church to offering free meals just twice a week, where it has been serving meals four days a week for decades. Yeah, the church's lawsuit says the new ordinance is unconstitutional because it interferes with the church's fundamental beliefs to, and this is a quote from the lawsuit, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, and sheltering the homeless. By adopting the measure, the city violated the first and 14th Amendments to the Constitution, at least according to this lawsuit. Warren, let's look at one more story before we take a break. It involves the so-called Billy Graham rule. First, can you tell us what the Billy Graham rule is? Well, I can. Uh, Way back in 1948 in Modesto, California, evangelist Billy Graham and the senior leaders of his evangelistic team got together and came up with what they called the Modesto Manifesto. Uh, And it was uh, really a, a uh, a visionary document. It identified how they would behave both personally and organizationally. There's a lot of great stuff in that Modesto Manifesto, including, for example, how they would handle their money. But one of the things that they recognized was the temptation for ministerial leaders to succumb to sexual sin while traveling on the road without their wives and families and some of the normal guardrails that might uh, keep them on the straight and narrow, you might say. Um, now, Billy Graham had a practice of of not traveling, meeting, or eating alone with a woman other than his wife, that was part of the Modesto Manifesto, it became a standard for ministers and leaders to protect themselves and others from sexual temptation. That is the rule that came to be known as the Billy Graham Rule. So why is this nearly 75-year-old practice back in the news again? Well, for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, a couple of years ago, Vice President Mike Pence told the media that he had followed the Billy Graham rule throughout his career, and he became the subject of some derision by the mainstream media who say that the rule is archaic in a world in which women are supposed to have equal status, especially in organizations. But the rule showed up again this week in a story that we did because a number of high-profile Christian leaders, including former Southern Baptist leader Paul Pressler, followed the Billy Graham rule during their careers, but it turns out that it didn't help very much because they had same-sex attractions. So the Billy Graham rule, while helpful, is not really adequate to deal with the dynamics of a 21st century environment. Is that what you're saying? Well, sort of. I'm a fan of the Billy Graham rule, but again, it doesn't cover all situations. Uh, The story we posted this week is called Beyond the Billy Graham Rule, and I really recommend it to all ministry and church leaders. 
Well, Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, we'll take a look at how Christians should respond to scandal by focusing on the Jerry Falwell Jr. story. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, a perspective on the Jerry Falwell Jr. story. Yeah, recently, Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife, Becky, were interviewed in the pages of Vanity Fair magazine about their precipitous fall from grace. It was the first in-depth interview that Falwell has given since the stories about him started breaking nearly two years ago, stories that ultimately forced him out as president of Liberty University. Warren, we're not going to recount all of the story here, but this week, Ministry Watch published an editorial that identified constructive ways for Christians to deal with these stories and the stories of other fallen leaders. Yeah, that analysis comes from Bart Gingrich, who says that the Vanity Fair profile, while it should be taken, in his words, not just with a pinch of salt, but with an ocean's worth of salt because of the liberal and anti-Christian bias that permeates the article in that magazine, it nonetheless has some important themes that Christians should take seriously. What are some of them? Well, for one, the article makes clear that Falwell was not a man who was well-established in his Christian faith, even by his own admission. Uh, Yet, because of his business skills, he was given jobs of increasing responsibility and ultimately, of course, became president of one of evangelicalism's most significant organizations, Liberty University, with more than a billion dollars in revenue. Falwell goes to some lengths to express how he was a bit of a spiritual free spirit, and how he finds institutional religion distasteful. Bart Gingrich also had something to say about the evangelical practice of passing down churches and ministries from father to son. Yeah, he does. Sometimes that works okay, but unfortunately, too often it does not. It's important for those of us in Christian ministry to remember that our ministries belong to God and not to us. Those of us in leadership roles should count that opportunity as a privilege, uh, not a right, an opportunity to steward the ministry for a season. But again, the ministry is not ours. And even legally, it is the ultimate responsibility of the board to see that the health and perpetuation of that ministry is looked after. 
Now, lots of ministries get into trouble when they start treating their ministries like a family business. In recent years, I could cite not just Liberty, but also Robbie Zacharias International Ministries as examples. There's also an important lesson here about how those of us who are looking on should behave. Yeah, that's right. When I was at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, uh, we examined the news and tried to determine what the appropriate Christian response should be. That was kind of our mission at the Colson Center. And in editorial meetings, we would often say to one another when we were considering a story of scandal or some other kind of a story that, that uh, you know, it would have been easy to say, I told you so. We would say this, schadenfreude is a sin. Now, for those of you whose German is a bit rusty, schadenfreude is a word that doesn't have a perfect translation into English, but it means taking pleasure in the misfortune of another. Perhaps the best English equivalent would be to gloat. Now, Bart Gingrich reminds us that we should not take pleasure in the misfortune of others, even those who deserve the consequences of their bad behavior. It's painful to see scandal afflict the church. It's also painful to see those who profess Christ fall into destructive life choices that hurt not only themselves, but many others as well. Gingrich reminds us, and these are exact words from his story, schadenfreude is not the appropriate response to the Falwell scandal. Repentance and vigilant sober-mindedness are. That's a lesson that we should also keep in mind as we consider our next story. Well, you're exactly right. And that next story involves Brian Houston, a man that we've written about a good bit over the last year or two, co-founder of the Hillsong Megachurch and Media Empire. He announced this week that he is stepping aside as global senior pastor, telling worshipers in a pre-recorded video played during the Sunday morning service at Hillsong's Sydney, Australia headquarters, that he would be taking a leave of absence from the church until the end of 2022. Citing a decision by the Hillsong Board and uh, comments or recommendations from external legal counsel, Houston, uh, standing with his wife and co-founder Bobby, said that best practice dictates that he absent himself completely from church leadership as he faces trial for allegedly failing to report sexual abuse. The court proceedings, he said, are likely to be drawn out and take up most of 2022. Houston was charged in August with concealing a serious indictable offense of another person. Police say his late father, Frank Houston, who is also a preacher, indecently assaulted a young male in 1970. Court documents allege Houston knew of his father's abuse as early as 1999 and, without any reasonable excuse, failed to disclose that information to the police. Now, in his statement to the church on Sunday, Houston said that the allegations came as a shock to him. He said that he plans to fight the charge and welcome the opportunity to set the record straight. And he said he needs to be fully committed to preparation and engagement with the case. Our next story is one that virtually all churches and ministries have had to deal with during the COVID crisis, and that is the migration to online services and events. 
That's right. I don't think anyone would argue that uh, online services were not a godsend to many during the pandemic. When churches were shut down, they provided a way to connect, sometimes the only way to connect. Uh, A report on churches and technology during the pandemic found that by offering online services, churches were able to expand their reach, connect with other people outside their community, and reconnect to those who had either moved away or become loosely connected to that church. But some people are saying that now that we can meet face-to-face again, we should discontinue online services. Yeah, a recent New York Times column suggested that churches should drop online services, claiming that offering both online and in-person services risks turning Sunday worship into a consumer experience. Uh, The article was written by Tish Harrison Warren, who is an award-winning author. You might see her byline in Christianity Today frequently. She wrote this, online church, while it was necessary for a season, diminishes worship and us as people. We seek to worship wholly with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And embodiment is an irreducible part of that wholeness. And she went on to say in a statement to Religion News Service, I think people worshiping online is a diminishment if they could be in person. But some new data suggests that some sort of hybrid might be the right approach. Yeah, data from the Hartford Institute for Religion Research suggests that churches might want to keep streaming even after returning to in-person worship. According to a study of pandemic responses by about 2,700 congregations from 38 denominations, churches with a hybrid approach, both in-person and online, saw reported worship attendance grow by 4.5%. Churches that met in person only saw a decline of more than 15%, while those who met online only declined 7%. So there are some theological concerns and some behavioral concerns. What has been the impact on clergy? Well, it's a great question, and the answer is pretty significant. The Tech in Churches report that I cited earlier also noted that many pastors and volunteers are just worn out by the demands of that have been put on them during the pandemic, which include duties, tasks, and frustrations involved in streaming services. I don't think anybody who's ever had your screen freeze up um, would uh, doubt what what they're talking about there. Creating community online required a different set of skills than those needed to create a community in person, something that pastors have struggled with, according to that report. Now, other stories that we've shared here at Ministry Watch over the past year document an increase in clergy stress, burnout, resignations, and retirement. So answering this question online, in person, or both may not be really easy for a whole lot of congregations. Warren, we're going to take another quick break. When we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. 
Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, what's up first is a story about the Master's University and Seminary. But before I get there, I just want to mention this. Uh, Every day we look at the website of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. I say we look at it. We've actually created a little software program that looks at it for us and gives us a report of organizations that have joined the ECFA and organizations that have departed from the ECFA. It's just one of the things that we do at Ministry Watch to try to make uh, that uh, change in status in ECFA membership a little bit more visible. If you read my weekly review column every Friday, we actually list all of the changes there. Now, occasionally we go one step further, and if we see an organization that uh, is significant or for some reason uh, left the ECFA uh, under unusual circumstances, we might also do a story. And that's the case here this week. The Master's University and Seminary, which was formerly headed by megachurch pastor uh, John MacArthur, recently withdrew its membership from the ECFA. The resignation was dated December 13th, and it is listed as a voluntary resignation, meaning that the uh, Master's Seminary was not under any sort of a compliance review. But it was unusual because uh, the Master's Seminary has been uh, a member of the ECFA since 1991 for 30 years. Uh, The reasons behind the resignation remain unclear. Ministry Watch attempted to reach out to university officials for comment, but they did not respond. Uh, Upon resignation, the Master's University and Seminary's member profile and financial data were scrubbed from the ECFA website. However, We have saved a Google Cache version uh, of their page. Uh, You can find that uh, in our story on the Ministry Watch website. And what we learned there is that uh, last year, the organization took in more than $43 million in revenue. And by last year, I mean for the year ended June 30th, 2020. And who is in Christina Darnell's Ministries Making a Difference column? Well, a couple of organizations I want to highlight in particular. One is Mission Eurasia. Uh, Mission Eurasia is uh, really going through an interesting season right now because they started out in the Ukraine. And of course, we all know uh, just by watching the um, news what's happening in Ukraine these days with a lot of tension, military activities and and posturing there. Mission Eurasia, through its Gift of Hope program, has delivered 131,000 gift boxes to needy children across 12 countries, including the Ukraine, during the months of December and January. The boxes contain school supplies, toys, mittens, children's Bibles, and were given to children in villages destroyed by war in eastern Ukraine, in refugee shelters in Armenia, and orphanages in Russia. should also mention that World Vision 
uh, is continuing its work to feed children in Afghanistan, uh, where it's provided humanitarian aid for more than 20 years. Now, World Vision is the largest international relief organization, Christian international relief organization in the country, and it has set up 15 mobile health clinics in October alone, treated 3,600 kids under the age of five. Now, there are an estimated 8.7 million Afghan children and adults that are on the brink of starvation uh, that actually could teeter into starvation by March of 2022. That's just next month. Um, The problems, of course, there have mounted since the U.S. troop withdrawal in August of 2021 and the subsequent takeover by the Taliban. Now, this mention of World Vision reminds me that it topped Ministry Watch's annual list of the largest Christian relief and development organizations. Yeah, that's right. We published our monthly list this week. And in this case, uh, our monthly list was our annual listing of the largest uh, relief and development organizations in the country, largest Christian uh, development and relief organizations. World Vision and Compassion International remain number one and number two on that list. Samaritan's Purse moved up to number three. It's grown significantly within the past year with a, right around $800 million in revenue. I should say that for the first time this past year, Compassion went over a billion dollars, and World Vision is at about $1.3 billion. You can see the entire list. It's right on the front page at ministrywatch.com. Now, while we're on the subject of lists, we also published our list of the top 10 stories for January. And at the top of that list is another list. <laughs> yeah, we, we like lists here at Ministry Watch. Uh, this is a list of the 100 most highly paid Christian ministry executives. The information was derived from the Form 990s that were prepared by the ministry themselves. And I should more accurately call that uh highly paid Christian ministry executives, and maybe not the highest paid, because we don't really know how many pastors and other ministry leaders might get more money but are not on our list because they don't release their Form 990s to the public. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, just a quick reminder uh, of something that I mentioned last week, and that is that Christina Darnell's Ministries Making a Difference column is made up of information that we mostly get from readers and listeners. They send us news tips, press releases, emails, and links, and Christina chases down the details. Uh, That's how we get a lot of the other stories that we tell as well. So if you have a story that you'd like for us to cover or a ministry that you think needs a closer look, please email us. The email address is info at ministrywatch.com. That will come directly to my desk and we'll take it from there. Also a reminder that you can help this program by leaving a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for other people to find us. It's a quick, easy, and I should add, free way that you can support Ministry Watch. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosalind and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Shannon Cuthrill, Bob Smithana, Elizabeth Evans, Roxanne Stone, Bart Gingrich, Mary Jackson, Lindy Langdon, Alejandra Molina, Adele Banks, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. Special thanks to the Institute on Religion and Democracy for contributing materials to this week's podcast. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.